Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning and you are with Lyle and... Renee. Good morning, Lyle. Good morning, Renee. How are you this morning? I'm very well. I'm very happy <laughs> and kind of sleepy. What, what is making you very... I know what's making you kind of sleepy, I think. Lack of sleep. Uh, what's making you very happy? Uh, what's making me very happy? Um, just the fact that it's a new day. We can do things again. We can do things again. Did I say that again? Did yes, I say I said that did. twice? Three times. Yep. All right. Well, I like that we can try things again. And if good. we stuff uh-huh. up, we can try it again. I'm, I'm counting. It's, we're up to five now. Keep going. Did Keep I going. mention I can? <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Fantastic. And uh, you say you're sleepy. <laughs> There is this thing when you're doing breakfast radio, you had you you do know you have a nine o'clock curfew, a, right? Yeah. Nine yeah. o'clock you, Yeah. Breakfast radio and social life, <laughs> these two things do not coexist. Can you tell that to my assignments? <laughs> Breakfast show and uh, assignment life, <laughs> these two things do not coexist. Oh, dear. It's just one of those weeks, but hey. Yes, it is indeed. But there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There really is. How yeah. many more weeks to go? Just four more. Four more. Just four more. Just, 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 just <laughs> stare at the end of those four weeks. This was the worst, so, yes. you know. Oh, you're through the worst? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Thanks that's got to be a good yeah. feeling. Very good. Praise God. <laughs> Fantastic. What am I thankful for this morning? Mm. Let me think. Um, well, I'm thankful. Okay, so I'm going to thank, thank, thankful for uh, 3ABN this morning. They're our sister uh, organisation, so mm-hmm. they have a uh, radio station as well. We often work and cooperate together, and I was working down there yesterday doing some uh, work with those guys. So, yeah, let's give those guys a shout-out this yeah, morning. They, they, they do a great work. You're listening to The Breakfast Joe Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Tell us some positive news this morning. Brighten our day, Renee. I will. I will. Good. And I'll start by telling you a story about Venice's inflatable floodgates, which has saved the city for the second time. <laughs> really? Inflatable yeah. floodgates? In- inflatable floodgates. Okay. So we know Venice is such a beautiful, historic yes. city with um, its beautiful buildings and quaint shops and ra- rows of old houses. Have you but been there? No, no. I. This is all based off pictures. So oh, it's amazing. Who knows if it really Make sure you put it on your bucket list. I took my wife there one time. Well, the only time I've been there. I oh, took my wife. Oh, holiday? Holiday? It was, well, it was a research trip and oh. I took an extra couple of weeks and took my wife on holiday that then led up to the research trip wow. afterwards. So. Okay. And we started in Venice. That was our first stop. Okay. And this was the first time that Shell had ever been to Europe. So her first experience of Europe was Venice. Venice, the floating city. Just amazing. Am I right in saying that it's built on a lagoon, right? Yeah, kind of. Kind of. Like mudflats. That's it. Mudflats with water on top of them. Oh. So it's kind of, yeah. Yeah. Like vast areas of very, very shallow water. Water, yeah. And it used to be a system of islands. That they kind of, it's all been connected together uh-huh, and uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Interesting place. Yes, yeah. It's one of a kind in the world. And so um, last week 
It was in danger when a 4.6 foot tide, or that's a 1.4 meter uh, tide, inched closer to its shores. And so this kind of tide would have flooded half the city, starting with the cultural treasure of, I don't know if you've been there, St. Mark's Square. It's and its spectacular uh, basilica. I didn't give that right. Anyway, so if it was not for the invention of the controversial, long-delayed, but now operational inflatable flood defense system, which was named after a certain biblical figure. Can you guess which one? Um, 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 <laughs> uh, maybe... Maybe Noah. No, 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 no. Another one that has to do with water. Another biblical figure. Uh, Jonah? No. Oh, no. Oh, I'm getting them all. Okay. <laughs> I'm not winning any prizes this morning. No. Uh, um, water, water, water. I've gone kind of blank. Why, why am I not thinking of the obvious right here? It um, starts with M. Moses. <laughs> yes. Yes. So this flood, this floodgate system is named after Moses. All right. So it's designed to stay on the bottom of the Venice Lagoon until a flood is detected. And then they call it MOS, which is an acronym that forms the Italian spelling of a man who parted the Red Sea, Moses. Yes. It, it inflates to the surface, rapidly creating a yellow rubber wall, and then it repels the water, protects the city. So, That's amazing. And it works. It works. It's worked, and they've had to use it, unfortunately, but luckily they have it twice this month. So, I mean, it, uh, the, the kind of damage it would have caused uh, would actually cause over... Over 1 billion euros in estimated damages. And that's happened last year. So obviously it's still in, it's still progressing, still being made, but it can be used and it's been used. Um, and, you know, last year Venice experienced its worst floods since 1966, causing that one, one, one billion pounds in, in damages. So this it's is going to pro- pay itself off pretty quick, I would imagine. <laughs> yes. So my question is, how do you feel about walking around Venice mm-hmm. while the floodgates are up and they're holding back the entire Mediterranean Sea. <laughs> yeah. I would. And, and those floodgates are inflatable. So there's kind of just a big a row of big balloons. Yes. That are protecting you from being engulfed by the ocean. I mean, it's pretty cool. Hey, if I was, if yes, I was a local, cool. I'd be like, man, this is, this is the life. <laughs> <laughs> All you need is an inflatable wall. There you go. So, um, you know, back in 1984, it was scheduled to come into operation a few years back, but it, it's been delayed because of corruption and overruns. And, you know, the architects have to, had Italy. to... Re- Italy. Just, just, just Italy. Just say Italy. We <laughs> just, get this. Just, we know uh, how this works. So it, it's been delayed because of Italy. And now, luckily, you know, because... Well, honestly, they they uh, learned from, their, from a hard lesson of last year, having to yeah. pay off, you know, a lot of money because of damages. Now they... Now they're pushing it forward and it's been helping them it's up and running yeah up and running so fantastic stuff some awesome good news from from uh italy i wonder whether we'll ever get to visit venice again i wonder whether the covid thing will ever uh, yes (laughs) whether those cheap airfares will ever come back yeah yeah this is a big question anyway if you can't go to Venice, you can definitely go to the Great Barrier Reef, where the salt scientists. Did you like that segue? I love that segue. <laughs> um, I was like, Renee's been here for what? How many? How many breakfast shows now? Maybe six, maybe eight, and she's just into the flow. Oh no! So, um, scientists have found a massive coral reef, which is the first reef to be discovered in 120 years in the Great Barrier Reef. This is one that, uh, yeah, we that, that has kind of broken off, right? Yeah, yeah. 
what do you mean broken off? Yeah, well, it's kind of isolated. If yeah, that's isolated, isolated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's actually um, it's actually taller than the Empire State Building, so it's about five hundred meters tall in length, very high. So, so my my question that goes through my mind when I hear about this story is, I don't really understand <laughs> the science behind it. How do you have a Great Barrier Reef? How do you have a reef that is that tall? Yeah, yeah. I, now. Hmm. When I hear this story, the first thing I want to do is to go and dive there and find out and have a look at it and go, you know, what's, what's actually going on here? Yeah. This is pretty impressive. Are you saying because, like, the world underwater is very, like, just very – Well, we don't one, of the things that, one of the things that it really highlights is just how little we know about the ocean. I mean, this is just off the coast of Australia. No, yes. It's not, it's not like it's in the, in the middle of the exactly. Mariana Trench or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not very far away. And how have we missed this? Yeah. How have we never seen this before? Well – You know, and it just mm. – just, the question that goes through my mind is – when, when I hear about this story is how many, how many other really cool things mm-hmm. are there sitting out there just underneath the surface of the water that even in 2020 we haven't discovered we haven't, yet? Yeah, that's right. We live in an amazing world, a mm-hmm. seriously, seriously amazing world. Mm. And um, there is, you know, we might think everything has been discovered that there is to be discovered. It's not. Mm. Let's get out there and discover some more. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so uh, we are coming up to Halloween, so we probably should spend a little bit of time talking about witchcraft. Yep. Uh, there is a whole range of witchcraft around the world uh, from witch doctors in traditional um, indigenous communities in mm-hmm. uh, undeveloped countries, mm-hmm. right the way through to the witches of the Dark Ages, mm-hmm. right the way through to witches going all the way back through history, right, you know, pretty much to the beginning of the, you know, the books of Moses. Yeah. And so witchcraft's been around for a long time, of course. Uh, Halloween is particularly focused on uh, witchcraft. There'll be a whole bunch of that kind of thing happening. You'll see them all wandering up and down the street. You know, these are not witches. These are people who are just, you know, <laughs> enjoying the, uh, the festival, I guess yeah. you would say. But witchcraft is a real thing. One of the interesting things is when you, when you talk, read about witchcraft in the area of fantasy and fiction and say, for instance, you look at your Hollywood depictions of witchcraft, you will often find the wicked witch who flies around on her broom yeah, and wears all black. But then you've got the wizard who's kind of cool. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, actually, I never never picked it out until you mentioned it now. Hmm. So often that's the way. The, the wicked witch and the cool wizard is kind of a bit of a recurring theme. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 18, and beginning in verse 9, it says, When you are coming to the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. Pretty strong language right here. Yeah. There shall not be found among you anyone that makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire. Yes, human sacrifice. Or that uses divination or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. So the Bible gives you quite a list of things here that are basically not to be part of the church. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's talking about. It's like, yes, in uh, other countries, other nations, um, you, these, there's various things going to happen, but this is, this is my church, this is my people. You're not to have this kind of thing happening within um, your nation because basically witchcraft 
Now, well, let me say this, spiritualism, because witchcraft has so many different brands mm-hmm. and flavours to it, but spiritualism at its core foundation involves communication with the dead and the continuation of life after death. And mm-hmm. the Bible says have nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. The dead know nothing. The Bible says uh, they sleep, they wait in the graves until the resurrection. You start to go down that particular path, you're actually going to be communicating with demons mm. and they're going to be catfishing you to the max and yeah, yeah just don't even go there. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, anyway, um, historically, of course, a lot of people, particularly women who were healers, were considered to be involved in witchcraft. Some of them were, some of them weren't. Some of the remedies that we have today, some of the modern medicine we have today, originates with these healers. And so, for instance, uh, things like willow bark was often used in the past, and that's where we get aspirin from. Mm. Uh, Garlic. And a lot of witches, or maybe they were witches, or maybe they were just natural healers. You know, there's a kind of a fine line between the two, and even today it can be hard to differentiate between somebody who is promoting natural therapies and somebody who is promoting spiritual concepts. Yeah. Because spirituality and health go hand in hand, either in Christianity or not in Christianity. You know, because you and I believe that our spiritual life is connected to our physical health. Yes, yeah. So, you know, uh, of course, henbane was used by supposedly by witches in the uh, Dark Ages for flying. So if you want to f- you can put some henbane on your broom, I guess, before you go flying. What's henbane? Uh, it's kind of some kind of herb, but these days we use it for motion sickness for people uh, to stop them from getting sick when they fly. So, <laughs> yeah, interesting, uh, interesting little... Uh, Connections here. The uh, they were also known for making love potions, poisons, and performing abortions. And so you can kind of see where they definitely earned the title of the wicked witch. Yeah, there were a number of very prominent witches who very openly worshipped Satan uh, and and publicly did so. They were involved in um, you know poisoning of various people or providing poisons for other people to poison various people Mm. and uh, yeah some pretty uh, full-on things that happened during the dark ages i'm sure there were a lot of women who were accused of witchcraft who were not actually Mm -hmm. involved in witchcraft what's interesting is that in the 1700s 89 percent of women who are placed on trial for witchcraft had no male children and no male brothers. These were independent and often single women. And so, yeah, kind of a different bit, of, different category here. Yeah. There was no one for their, you know, they were wealthy mm-hmm. and there was no male relatives to receive their inheritance. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of witchcraft, you know, is blatantly satanic and blatantly pagan. And you know, we need to recognise that there are a lot of people in our world today who follow this particular religion. It does not make them. It does not make them bad people. No, I would say from a Christian perspective, it makes them deceived people. Mm-hmm. But we also need to remember that they have. We have religious liberty in this country and we believe in religious liberty and we believe that because of religious liberty they have the right to choose whom they serve and if they choose to serve Satan, they have the right to do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we might feel bad about it but, you know, that's that's 
what religious liberty, you know, God is not standing there with a gun to their head mm-hmm. forcing them to worship somebody else. He's like, no, you're free to make your own choice and this is something we need to support. Yeah. So modern witchcraft uh, really begins with Gerald Gardner in 1954 and by the year 2014 in the United States there were about one million people who uh, in the census um, stated that their religion was Wicca. Uh, about 22,000 in Australia, so those are significant numbers. Um, American psychic services in the United States are worth about $3.2 billion a, a year. Uh, Witch Talk on TikTok um, has received 5.3 billion views. A hashtag Witches of Instagram, 5.5 million posts. Etsy has more than 400,000 products for sale on it with the hashtag witch attached, attached to them. Mm-hmm. And so this is, this is actually big business, which is interesting to me because the Bible talks about spiritualism flooding the world at the end of time mm-hmm. just before Jesus comes back and spiritualism being a major deceptive force at the end of time that causes people to turn away from Jesus Christ or even if they don't turn away from Jesus Christ, to break their connection with Jesus Christ. And part of the uh, part of the persecution and part of the forced religion that you have taking place in the Bible and in biblical scenarios at the end of time is as a result of a union between Christianity or professed Christianity and spiritualism. And it's kind of what we see happening uh, right now. So the Ouija board was paid in back in uh, 1891. By 1967, it was outselling Monopoly at around about $2 million, uh, per year. Uh, Airbnb is selling Equinox rituals. Um, Halloween is worth about $8 billion to the economy in the United States every year. A few, few more verses on this, of course. We have uh, Jezebel, who was referred to as a witch. And if we go to Galatians... Chapter 5, the Bible says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunken revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I've told you in the past, that they which do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible is very, very plain about this. We need to be followers of Jesus Christ, and if we choose to follow Satan, uh, then that's a very, very negative path to go down, one that we need to reconsider. Yeah. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so ever since Dr. Sven Erstring was joining us last month to talk about DNA, we've had a whole bunch of people that have been hanging out for the second part of this instalment. And so we're picking up where, uh, where we left off. Dr. Sven Erstring, welcome to the show. Good to be back, Lyle. Uh, it's good to, to be back on the show. Okay, so we've been talking about DNA and, you know, the atheist professor Richard Dawkins, um, you know, kind of believes that the most compelling evidence for evolution is found in DNA. Uh, is this is this true? Or, I mean, it seems like both sides of the argument find their most compelling evidence in DNA. Well, it is, it is very, very true uh, because, of course, uh, you know, DNA is at the very root of of our, um, you know, genetic information. And, of course, you know, um, both evolutionists and, and creationists want to claim this incredible language uh, called DNA. Um, and, and what we want to dive into is what we call a DNA code. 
so uh, the DNA code is effectively like the the kind of language um, which which DNA is is constructed of, and it really is a language. Lyle, it's it's like a computer program, um, in the sense that you've got uh, letters, uh, you've also got words, and um, it's just incredible um, how DNA is actually um, all of the information for life, all the information for you is written in your um, DNA. It's it's really um, uh, mind-boggling, really remarkable. So we had letters here. We had a written form of words that existed yes. long before human beings actually thought up the idea of writing words. That's correct. Yes, yes. And and the interesting thing is is this is that if, um, you know the the DNA words they specifically refer to things. So so um, you'll get a a three letter word written in DNA. And it will refer to a um, a specific amino acid. Uh, so so that's the kind of word. And then and then you start to string them along. You know, you, you put them together, and and they you start to build proteins. That that's the whole idea uh, behind um, DNA. But in many ways, that that's kind of a bit simplistic. It's a lot more sort of complex. Um, than that, and um, one of the reasons why um, it's it's more complex is because, of course, uh, DNA can actually uh, um, work with, shall I say, or accommodate errors which occur in the um, the DNA, which which occur because of the copying. Um, so, so it can it can actually, shall I say, overcome or or accommodate these these errors, which is really really remarkable. Right, so if I get a uh, an error in my computer software and maybe that error sneaks in because it's been copied too many times or whatever it might be and it starts to yes. corrupt over time, that's just actually going to get worse and worse and worse. It's not going to, you know, automatically provide for itself a solution. Are you saying that DNA can actually find a solution when this kind of scenario happens? Yes, yes, it can, it, and, and this is the brilliance of the the engineering system um, for for DNA, shall I say? So, so in it, within the cells, there's not only not only have DNA, but you also have um, error correcting mechanisms. So, so there will be actually molecules which will run along the DNA molecule and look to correct. Um, errors that occur, which which is really uh, phenomenal when you think about it. So so the DNA is not just a um, like a, a a string of letters that is just kind of left um, to its own devices or, or left out in the open, kind of so so to say, where where errors are just kind of accumulating and and, and the DNA can do nothing about it. So that's one thing. But there's another thing as well, which is that as it as you read the DNA, it can actually work with those errors and still come up with the uh, right answers as as well, which is um, which is really really amazing. Now, here's a really important thing. Is is that the the letters and the words 
they actually do mean things. They actually do refer to, to amino acids. Um, and, and it's, all of this has been optimized so that you can get the proteins that you need. And this is what, um, people have recognized is that if you didn't have that kind of optimization, if you didn't have that, um, you know, so that it works so well together, the, everything would sort of kind of fall apart. It would just all be meaningless. Um, so, for for example, um, the uh, Richard Dawkins had said, you know, if there was any, if you got errors in the actual words and language itself in terms of um, if they didn't mean things, then the whole thing would kind of collapse. It's like sort of um, if you started writing in French and, um, uh, you know, people who only spoke English would go like, I have no idea what you're saying. It's all becoming garbage. You know what I mean? Mm, sure. So, so, so this is really important. So the question is, how did the um, how did the DNA language come to be? How did it come to be so um, optimized and able to, um, you know, accommodate the, these errors? And this is the the issue that evolutionists just can't explain. They can't explain that there's no process through which you can arrive to that optimal um, language, which can not only um, express itself in terms of, um, say, meaningful, meaningful things about amino acids and proteins, but also accommodate errors so you can still say the right thing, if that, if that makes sense. So I guess, you know, when we think about languages and our world is so diverse when it comes to spoken language, do we assume yes. then that all human beings, regardless of you know, what their DNA is, their DNA actually speaks the same language. That, that, is, that is correct in terms of right, pretty much right across the, the whole biological world, the biosphere, um, the DNA language is uh, virtually universal. Uh, which which is which is just incredible because when you think about it, um, evolution is should evolution should be um, the process where things are changing all the time, where where um, you know the the even the, the the DNA language is evolving, but that's not what we see. We see a very um, very specific, shall I say, very intentional, very purposeful language with DNA to be able to help us. Um, you know, the, have the expressions for the proteins we need, but also to be able to accommodate the errors um, which are accumulating all the time, as as we discussed last time. Um, so, th- this this language itself um, it is evidence towards intelligent design. It doesn't speak of Darwinian evolution and or. or chemical evolution in fact it, that would be impossible you know the the probabilities are so incredibly high um, you'd never get this type of language it doesn't happen by chance so so if we've got if we've got the same language written in uh, used in our dna in all races of people are you then saying or is science then revealing that it is the same language across all living things Yes. So, yes, so, that, so then, so then, basically, the most primitive life forms that 
you know, go the furthest way, you know, back in the evolutionary scale. You know, the oldest life forms have exactly the same language as we have today. It hasn't evolved. It hasn't changed. It's just as advanced 50 billion years ago as what it is now. Well, there, there are variations. There, there are some small variations, but the reality is that that it's virtually universal. That, so that's life, very important. So life begins, life appears on planet Earth with a perfectly written DNA language that is essentially the same as what we have right now. Well, I, I, I wouldn't – I'd say perfectly written may be a little bit of an overstatement. But what I would say is it's optimized and it's universal in the sense it's there's it's virtually identical, which is what you said in the second part of the statement, um, which is absolutely incredible because you this is the point. You would think that if if the lower life forms um, that supposedly arose, um, you know, three um, three billion years ago, uh, were evolving, they would have a much less um, uh, complex DNA system that also have quite a different DNA system. It would have evolved over that time, but that is not what we see. We see the same, uh, virtually the same DNA language. It's it's virtually all universal, and that points towards design. And virtually the same level of complexity. That, that, that's right. That's right. So um, in reality, the- in reality, could we say this, that we don't actually have – simpler life forms, we just have different life forms because the level of complexity in the DNA is the same right across the board. We, we could say, um, we could say, obviously, I mean, um, anatomically, uh, there, there, there's a lot more complexity to you, say, than, than amoeba, which is good because um, it's good to know that because I'm talking to you on radio. Yes, um, yes I'm not talking to an amoeba. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, so, so that is really important. You, you, you're a, you know, you're an amazing person, and uh, many years as well, and and um, um, you know your whole Faith FM team. But when you go down to the to the basic fundamental level, and this is the point that you're making, Lyle, is that our DNA language is is universal and, and it has the same complexity um, so so we don't see that we, we, we see this incredibly um, uh, remarkable incredibly sophisticated language right across the board and, and that speaks of design that that speaks of intelligence and thought um, thought um, in the process of life itself at the most fundamental level okay so we've got this incredibly complex uh, DNA language, just amazingly detailed and complex that exists yes. way back in time. And yes. it's, okay, now the other thing that sort of is starting to do my head in just as you're sharing this is that language serves no purpose without information. So language is uh, just, is just a, 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 a device that we use to be able to communicate information. So if I, if I open a book right now, there are words in that book. They are printed on ink and paper, and maybe you could get an explosion take place in a print shop and have a fully bound dictionary come out of it by, you know, some if you blew up enough printing presses, maybe that could happen. I think that's a stretch of, you know, monumental proportions. But let's say that, that did happen – but what about the information? Where does that come from? 
That, that, that's right. And what you're, ref- um, what you're referring to is that the, um, the information, so, so DNA itself refers to something else. That's really important. It's not, it just doesn't exist in and of itself. So, and this is really, this is where the concept of, of mind is really important and, and thoughts and, and information. So, for example, I could have a, a, a rock on, on a beach and, and it could, you know, there could be a bit of a, a kind of pattern in it. Um, you know, it's ranged in a, in a interesting way. But it doesn't necessarily refer to anything else. But as soon as I've got a rock, um, you know, formation on the beach, which says, you know, I love you. If, you know, if it was a romantic message, you know, between a, a, um, a, a boy and a girl or whatever, um, that is language because it's referring to another idea. And this is what DNA is. DNA is these um, nucleotides, these little um, pieces of molecule along that spiral staircase but they're referring to something else, which is proteins and amino acids and, and enzymes and, and all of you as well. And that is information and that goes to a much higher level. This is we're not just talking about a physical um you know reality. We're we're talking about an information bearing system and that speaks of mind that speaks of intelligence that speaks of somebody who wants to design you so that he can um he can be able to to write all of who you are at a physical level uh in your dna so yeah you're, you're absolutely right that that information comes ultimately from one and that's what we see in every other language in every other communication system in the world dr sven erstring thank you so much for joining us this morning i feel that we're still just scratching ourselves around the surface of this DNA subject, uh, but we look forward to you coming back again next month. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.